everybody. We are in Matthew. We have looked at 26 chapters already, and we are on chapter 27. Uh, Matthew, the first of four Gospels in the Bible about the life of Jesus. Uh, we started with the birth of Jesus Christ, and we read about that. And now we're coming close to learning about the death of Jesus Christ. We looked at him calling his disciples, uh, his teaching, his preaching, his miracles, his confronting of the Jewish leaders, uh, his uh, preaching the truth and the outcome of that. We've seen some accept that and uh, gain eternal life. We've seen some reject that and many uh, want to kill him. And we're going to see the outcome of that soon also. Eventually we, we read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where the crowds were yelling Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David, an exciting day. And just a few days later, the crowds will be yelling, crucify him, kill him. Uh, an amazing change we're going to see here also. Uh, during uh, this last week after the triumphal entry, he cleared the temple. He challenged the Jewish leaders. He taught in the temple during the day for everyone to see. Uh, he also had a special Passover meal with his disciples, went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he uh, prayed, he cried, he was in terrible anguish, almost to the point of death right there, just thinking about what he was going to go through. And now we're going to be looking at what he's really going to go through. We're going to see what he knew was coming and what caused him so much grief. Uh, back there in the garden, we're coming to this section here. So Matthew 27, verses 11 to 31 just want to say amen to uh, what Tim prayed earlier. And let's get right into it. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So after he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas comes with a large crowd. They grab him, and they take him uh, in the middle of the night to Annas and Caiaphas, and kind of the chief priests and uh, other elders are mixed in here. And by the end of that morning, you have the whole Sanhedrin together. And they were trying to put together charges against him. Amazingly enough, they were even willing to accept lies. And they couldn't even find anyone really to lie good enough that they could accept anything. It was just an amazing thing. They could not really find anything. Even though they were perfectly willing to lie and do anything to kill him, they still had a hard time coming up with something. And we saw in the middle of all that, that Jesus, his life was so perfect. He was so perfect, so full of grace and truth and mercy and justice that they couldn't find anything against him. The only thing that the religious guys could come up with was a couple of things that really uh, were nothing to kill him for. And actually, uh, it was just totally wrong. So um, those trials showed Jesus's innocence. And yet the outcome is they wanted to kill him. So they bring him to Pilate the governor, and that brings us to this spot right here. And he's standing before the governor, and the governor who is Pilate says to him, Are you the king of the Jews? The Jewish leaders, they wanted Jesus killed. They wanted him killed mainly for religious reasons, mainly because they were jealous and all sorts of evil reasons. But they knew that Pilate and the Roman uh, people they weren't going to kill Jesus for religious reasons. They didn't care about the religious squabble that they had going on. But they needed to hand him over to the Romans to get him killed. So what did they tell the Romans? 
Well, they came up with some other things. He causes problems. And uh, the big thing here is that he calls himself a king. And they're hoping that that's going to bother Pilate enough that uh, he's going to have him killed. Uh, So Pilate turns to Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? This might be the first time in all of these trials where there's actually like a real trial thing that happens. A real judge turns and actually asks him a question and is going to listen to an answer. Before, it's just been crazy, the stuff going on in the middle of the night. And uh, there was a lot of beating and spitting on him already, right in front of the Jewish leaders, has already happened. Uh, And those things were completely unjust. They weren't even supposed to happen in the middle of the night according to their own law. Uh, But here we are in front of Pilate the governor, and he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, Jesus answers him, it is as you say. It is as you say. Yes, you just said the truth. There's so much more Jesus could say, isn't there? It's just amazing through this whole thing we're going to read. He's going to be basically silent and not say much. What could he say right here? What could Jesus tell Pilate, the governor, right here? Yes, I'm the king of the Jews. I also happen to be the king of the universe as well. (laughs) Uh, And that's the physical world. I am also the king of the unseen world you don't even know about. I'm a king there as well. I'm also the king of heaven. I'm also the king of anything you could imagine. Uh, I also created this whole kingdom, and I hold it together. Every single atom of it, I hold together with my hands. He could have told Pilate that, and he would have been right. But he didn't say all of that, did he? He just says, yes, it is as you say. He is the king of the Jews. Verse 12, and while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Matthew does not give us a lot of details here. We know uh, from John, John gives a lot more details about what's going on here, about what is said to Pilate, what Pilate says. He even hands him over to Herod for a bit and then brings him back. None of that is really in this account in Matthew. Um, But I'm going to just mainly focus on what Matthew says because maybe he's trying to point out something specific for us here. I'll just maybe mention a few other things as we go here. But uh, he gets right to it here. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. So the chief priests and elders, they spent all night and all morning bringing all sorts of, not really accusations, but just all sorts of gibberish about Jesus, about why they want him killed, really, is what they're talking about. And they're bringing that in, in front of Pilate, and this is going on, and Jesus is saying nothing. Pilate says to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Jesus, can you hear them? I mean, are your ears working? Can you hear them? Jesus, can you hear them? (laughs) Can he hear them? Of course he can. He can hear everything. You know, were these things not written down hundreds of years beforehand by the prophets that he would go through this? He heard it then, too. He knew exactly what was going to be going on. It's a really wild thing to say, Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? Yes, he hears what they're saying. His hearing is fine. His understanding is fine. uh, And uh, his wisdom is far greater than anyone else in the whole area uh, at this point in time. Yes, he hears them, and yes, he knows what's going on. 
Verse 14, and he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Quite amazed. Apparently that's a Greek word that's really powerful. Pilate hadn't seen this before. He was used to people pleading their case for their lives, you know. This is their life is on the line. They're going to say anything they can to get out of this. Especially Pilate, we're going to find out here that Pilate knows quite a bit. And he knows this guy is innocent. He didn't do anything deserving of death. I think Pilate wants him to defend himself. Come on, man, defend yourself uh, and get me out of this predicament I'm in here. Uh, you don't deserve death, but, but Jesus says nothing. He did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. Throughout this whole passage and studying this and thinking about it, my mind just keeps going back a lot to Isaiah 53, uh, where it says here in uh, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. I wonder if those words were even going through Jesus' mind uh, as he was going through this. He's doing exactly what it said he would. Uh, hundreds of years before it ever happened. The governor was amazed. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. Pilate's in quite a situation. I found out that uh, Pilate had already messed up twice, really big time, and he was in trouble with Caesar himself. He had messed up and caused riots uh, there in Jerusalem. And his main job is to keep the peace with the Jews, okay? Keep the peace with the Jews, whatever it takes. And so two riots, uh, apparently Caesar had actually written to him and said, uh, you need to take care of this problem. And now what does he have on his hands? This could become a riot again. This could go bad. It would make him look bad, and probably he would lose his position, and he would be in big trouble, and he couldn't handle uh, that again. This would be the third time. So he needs a way out of this, and he thinks of a way. He goes, here it is. Here's the way out. He knows that it's the leaders that want him killed. He knows the people. A lot of the people like Jesus. He's thinking the people probably don't want him killed. And so he normally releases someone around the Passover uh, that the Jews wanted out. And it would help keep the peace, which was his goal there. And he thought, boy, I could do two things at one time here. I could make the people happy, um, and I could have this happen, and this would get me out of this mess that I'm in. Uh, so notice verse 17. It says, when the people gathered together, the people so a crowd, this is probably early in the morning, but the sun is coming up and people are starting to gather. It's not just the leaders anymore. We have a crowd of people as well. And so who does he talk to here? Who does Pilate talk to? He talks to the crowd, not the Jewish leaders. The crowd, hoping the crowd's going to get him out of it. Who do you want me to release for you, crowd? Jewish leaders, you just keep your mouth closed for a while. Crowd, what do you want? Barabbas or Jesus, and who does he call Jesus? Jesus who is called Christ. That's a reference to the Messiah. 
he knew something about the Messiah that they were expecting. He knew that a lot of them thought he was the Messiah, and so he's playing to that as well. We also know from the other Gospels, Barabbas was guilty, guilty of leading an insurrection and murder as well. He should be uh, punished in some way for his crimes. Jesus was completely innocent. And in fact, many people called him the Christ, the Messiah. It's obvious who they should say who should be freed. And then out of nowhere, we have this wild thing that happens. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. His wife sent him a message. Is there ever a time when you really, maybe don't really want your wife to send you a message? (laughs) I mean, really, he's on the judgment seat here. He's got a crowd. He's got a wild thing going on here. The fate of a man in front of him. uh, This is wild stuff. And he gets a little note from his wife. Uh, apparently his wife had a lot of sway with him or else she wouldn't have sent this message. Apparently she suffered greatly. must have been hugely in a dream here. Like she says, we don't know what the dream was. I'm really curious to know a lot more about it. We just don't know. We just know that here's a message coming from his wife that uh, saying have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Pilate's in quite a situation, isn't he? He's got the Jewish leaders want Jesus to be killed. He knows he's innocent and uh, doesn't need to be killed. He's got the Rome watching closely to see what he's doing. And he knows that this could, could turn into a riot or something on his hands. And on top of all that, his wife is saying, come on, man. Get away from him. He's a righteous man. Do you see she calls him a righteous man? Have nothing to do with this righteous man. Uh, Pilate's in quite a pickle, isn't he, here? And uh, he's got to figure out what he's going to do. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Wow. Wow. They persuaded the crowds. What does that mean? When the crowds came, what were they thinking? Before the chief priests and elders talked to them, what were they thinking? We don't know exactly, but they had to be persuaded to ask for Barabbas, meaning they probably wouldn't have said that earlier. Isn't it interesting how this all plays out? Uh, Pilate goes to the crowd, who do you want me to release for you? And before they can say it, what happens? Some weird message from his wife. He's got to deal with that. What's happening while he deals with that? The chief priests are talking to the crowd and persuade them uh, to, to, to ask for Barabbas. He comes back to the crowd, and by then they had persuaded them. And uh, so they're going to ask for Barabbas. The governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said... Barabbas. Barabbas. One of the greatest travesties of injustice ever that the crowd asked for Barabbas. Someone who they knew was guilty of at least two counts of big things that he should be punished for. We could release him, this guilty person, or Jesus, who never ever did anything wrong. I mean, and on top of that, he always did what was right. He did miracles, always thought of other people before himself. 
did everything for everybody, loved everybody, taught the truth, never anything but the truth. And yet, they want Barabbas uh, released so Jesus would not be released. Uh, an amazing thing. The crowds asked for Barabbas. That, what do we learn from that? It sounds like the crowds might not have asked for Barabbas if the chief priests and elders had not convinced them to. What do we learn from that? Don't be part of the crowd. Don't just give in to what the crowd's doing. Make sure you have a reason for what, you're, uh, what you decide to do, especially with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Don't just do what the crowd says. I imagine if we went to the individual people in the crowd and asked them, why did you ask for Barabbas? What do you think they would say? I bet they didn't have a whole lot of answers. Well, the chief priests and elders told me to say that. So that's what I said. So you're going to have an innocent man killed and a guilty man go free because someone told you to say that. Um, I don't know exactly what they would say, but probably it'd be something like that. Probably a lot of them didn't know why they yelled for Barabbas. <clears throat> Pilate said to them, verse uh, 22, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? The big question. What am I going to do with Jesus? And you know, I think Pilate really is asking, what do we want me to do? What am I supposed to do here? What am I going to do? This guy's innocent. He actually, over in John, he declared him innocent. He said, I find no reason to kill him. Uh, he's innocent. What do you want me to do with him? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? What should I do with Christ? Let me ask each one of you out there. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? I think maybe that's a question every human being has to answer at some point. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? The crowd said, they all said, crucify him. He said, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. Kill him. Crucify him is horrible. Torture on the cross until you're dead. Do that to him. Kill him. Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? What was their answer? They don't have an answer, do they? They're just yelling, crucify him. Again, it's the crowd, the mob mentality. Uh, crowds can be swayed. We need to make sure we're not just part of the crowd doing things uh, that we actually think about what we're doing and the decisions we make. And when we're going to protest and yell out, make sure you think through uh, what you're actually going to do and where you're going to take your stand. Uh, don't just follow the crowd because they, they could be wrong. Very wrong, as in this case here. <clears throat> when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, and remember, that's his number one goal, not a riot. Just anything can happen here, just not a riot, because that's going to get back to Caesar, and I'm going to lose my job. Maybe even get punished for it. I don't know what would happen there. But uh, a riot was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. I've said it before, and again, Pilate knew that he was innocent. Pilate knew he did not deserve death. Uh, and here, what he's doing, the washing hands thing, I did find out 
this is actually in the Old Testament in God's law. Uh, there was things about washing your hand. There was a time if someone murdered someone, the leaders of that city, um, priests could be involved in this too. They would go find the person who murdered the person. And if they found the person, bring him to justice. If they couldn't do it, they would gather everyone together and they would wash their hands in front of them and say, we're innocent of this. Uh, we tried. We could not figure out who killed them or where the person went. And so we, we tried our hardest, but it's over now. And uh, we're washing our hands of this. <clears throat> so Pilate's kind of playing along with that, although this is a different situation here. Um, but he's kind of in a way saying something like that. I'm innocent of this man's blood, which means he's going to die. But I'm innocent. I know he doesn't deserve it. But he's going to die, and somehow I'm innocent, even though I'm the one saying he's going to be crucified. I don't know how that works out. Uh, but somehow he's, he's making a, a show here to say that. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. His blood shall be on us and on our children. This crowd, folks, they're yelling terrible things, aren't they? Uh, again, you just got to watch. We need to watch out for what we're saying and what we're thinking. Also, the leadership, too, the chief priests and elders. Is it, a, is it amazing how they swayed the crowd so easily? I think crowds can be swayed, and people that are in leadership need to really take that seriously as well and not lead people into wrong things. That would be sin. <clears throat> His blood shall be on us and on our children. What a terrible thing to say. Uh Kill him is what the crowd is saying. Kill him and we'll take the blame for it. If it's wrong, we don't care. We'll take the blame for it. And just to prove ourselves, let it be on our children as well. Uh, we'll say it. We'll say that he deserves death. And um, if it's wrong, well, it's on us and on our children as well. It's a terrible thing to say. Now, in other circumstances, would that phrase be a good phrase? It could be. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Well, if we're talking about his salvation, uh, that would be a great thing to say. I hope that his blood, his salvation is on me and on my children. That would be wonderful. But this is uh, the opposite of that. Not a good thing. Verse 26. <clears throat> one of the greatest injustices probably ever in the history of the universe here is in verse 26. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Terrible. He released Barabbas. That's a terrible thing we've already talked about. Having him scourged. Scourged means there would be uh, the person would be tied to some sort of post or something. Two soldiers would have whips that would have various different tips on them that were full of glass and sharpened bone, and they would hit the person repeatedly on the back, uh, diagonally making X's on their back, completely opening the back up. Uh, the skin would actually be opened up every time they hit it. Uh, there would be blood everywhere. The insides of the back would be clear, and you would see them by the time this was done. Many people died in the process of being scourged. That's what Pilate did to Jesus. We find out in John that he had him scourged and then brought back out to the crowd. And Pilate was hoping again that maybe this could be over with. 
they saw him. They made fun of him as a king. They saw that he had been scourged completely. This is not a king uh, in any way in their eyes. But yet again, they yelled, crucify him. So, and Matthew tells us, he handed him over to be crucified. The injustice is huge here. He's innocent, and uh, he's going to be killed for it. Uh, Pilate knew that he was innocent, and yet he still hands him over to be crucified. Uh, the, The chief priests and elders could not really come up with anything great to have against him. They just wanted him dead. Uh, the crowds didn't give a reason why. They just yelled, crucify him. There are so many reasons that this is completely unjust. But of course, on top of all that, we're talking about God in the flesh, uh, the very creator and sustainer of life, the one who gave life to these people standing before him, and they pronounced death on him. <clears throat> and it gets worse. This section just really points out the evil in humans and uh, and what they did, what the world did to Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. After twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him, put his own garments back on him, and led him away to crucify him. He had already been beaten up before he even came to Pilate. Uh, and then he got scourged, which often leads to death in many people. Uh, and now, all of this happening, they're they're mocking him, strip his clothes off of him, uh, pretending like he's this horrible king. And imagine what it would look like bowing down. It's just a complete mockery what they're doing to him here. The crown of thorns on his head, uh, and then they start hitting him with the the reed that they gave him. <coughs> And this is what the soldiers did for sport, making sport of Jesus Christ. It's just terrible, evil stuff here. Uh, We're not told exactly what Satan and the demons are doing during all of this. I would imagine they're very much at work in that crowd and in these soldiers uh, doing all of this, part of the beating and everything. Uh, that probably would play into all this as well. Uh, Just terribly evil stuff happening to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All the beatings and everything would leave him to, I don't know if he could stand up at this point, uh, how he was even surviving all of this. Uh, Terrible. He would just be a a mess of a man uh, standing there with blood everywhere, mocking him calling him the king of the Jews. And then they led him away to crucify him. One interesting thought in all this, uh, someday, you know, Jesus is standing before Pilate here. One day, Pilate's going to be on trial, isn't he? Who's he going to stand in front of? 
tables are going to be turned. It'll be Jesus. Uh, these soldiers will actually stand before Jesus Christ as well. In fact, everybody will uh, one day. <clears throat> what was Jesus thinking about during all of this? Uh, why would he allow people to do this to him? He could have overpowered them at any point in time. He could have called uh, thousands of angels in to help out. He could have uh, called lightning down. He could have done anything at all to get out of this. What was he thinking about during all this time? Why would he allow every single hit, every person to spit on him? And he didn't hit him back. He didn't do anything back. Every single time they did something to him. The Jewish leaders, maybe that was the worst of it all. The very ones who should have been recognizing him as the Messiah would be the ones who started the whole thing, making fun of him and hitting him, mocking him. What was he thinking about through all that? I don't know. Uh, we know what he was praying earlier in the garden. <clears throat> he was praying to the Father. Maybe he was praying again. Not my will done, but your will be done. We do know in Hebrews it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Shame was a big part of this, all of this. Not only the physical pain, but everything they're doing was made to mock him and bring shame upon him as well. Uh, and what does it say in Hebrews? For the joy set before him, he despised the shame. What was that joy that was set before him? It doesn't mean he had joy going through this. <laughs> there was nothing joyful about this. Uh, but he knew he was accomplishing something. What was the joy? Well, I think it had something to do with you and me. I think in some way he was thinking about you and me. And he knew he had to go through it to accomplish our salvation. He had to go through this terribly unjust thing so that we could be justified before God. I think he did it because he loves us. Not only was it the Father's will he wanted to do, but he knew the Father's will involves saving all of us, anyone who believes. Uh, even the soldiers who were beating him up, if they believed and asked forgiveness, if they admitted they were sinners, asked forgiveness because of what he was doing, he would be able to save them. I don't think the joy came from knowing that Pilate would stand before him someday and justice would be served. That will be good. But I think the joy is in saving people like us, sinners. Because really all of us, we've all wronged Jesus. We've all sinned. We all deserve his punishment. But he took the punishment for us. What will you do with Jesus? The Jewish leaders hated him and wanted him to be killed. The crowd mindlessly rejected him and yelled, crucify him. Herod uh, laughed at him and made fun of him. 
Pilate's wife said have nothing to do with him. Pilate got rid of him because he was inconvenient. What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your plan to save us. And we're amazed at how, uh, how what Jesus went through without saying anything in return, without uh, getting out of it. Lord, thank you that he went all the way to the cross, was willing to do everything it took to save us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.